Take your Bibles, if you will, and, and turn to Matthew chapter 8. I do thank the Lord for my wife. And uh, last uh, weekend, she was a tremendous nurse to me as I was in my despair and uh, in sickness. You know, it's that uh, in sickness and in health, that's part of the marriage vow, right? And so uh, we've been tested on that this, this year. And uh, so, uh, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> All right. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Our memory verse for this week is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 is a wonderful invitation. After speaking of the role that Jesus serves as our faithful and sacrificial high priest, a high priest who understands our failures and, our, and sympathizes with our weaknesses, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Now I love the invitation that we receive from God's Word and I trust you do as well. In fact, I need to hear that invitation. There are many times when I am in need of God's mercy and grace to help, but I feel utterly unworthy in asking for it. And yet in this verse, I, uh, I'm given the invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace and receive the mercy and the help that I need. Anytime, anywhere, for any situation, for any circumstance. That invitation is open to all of those who are in Christ. We may come boldly because the one who sits on that throne is our greatest friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Jesus Christ is the one who loved us and gave Himself for us. And because of this invitation... We can be sure that when we come before His throne and we seek His help in times of need, we will not be turned away, even though we are so often unfaithful and unworthy. We can be rest assured that we will always be welcomed by Him and granted an endless supply of His abundant mercy and grace in our time of need. Now that need may be because that you're suffering from something physical or some illness that just doesn't seem to go away. It may be because there's a failure in a relationship that's causing you a great deal of sorrow and grief. It may be because there's a sin in your life that you're unable to gain victory over. It may even be because you have come to realize over the time that you have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, that you are a lost sinner under the wrath of a holy God, that you are in desperate need of salvation even today, and that you would like to enter into that relationship and be saved. Now this morning's passage that is before us reminds us that Jesus is alive. He's active. He's powerful to meet every need brought to Him. And what's more, He is willing to meet those needs if we will come to Him in genuine faith. We don't know the man's name in our text, 
In fact, we really don't know anything about his background. The only thing we, uh, that has been identified uh, about him in these pages is that he is needy. All we know for sure about him is he's a man in a desperate condition and that he humbly has brought his need to Jesus and that Jesus gladly received him and completely met his need. His story teaches us one of the most basic, the most crucial lessons that could ever be learned, that Jesus is willing to respond to the need of anyone who comes to him in faith. The man's story is found for us here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It occurs according to the gospel writer Matthew immediately after Jesus finished the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And even though this poor leper proved to be a great hero of the faith, I don't believe the spotlight is meant to be on him. His story of faith is an outstanding one simply because of the one in whom his faith was placed. The spotlight is meant to be on Jesus. The first thing that we notice about Jesus from this story is that he receives anyone in need who comes in faith. He receives anyone in need who comes in faith. Look at verse 1 and 2. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I believe that Matthew was very deliberate in placing this story immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, after all, had said some very strong things in that sermon. If we truly hear what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we certainly won't come away feeling good about ourselves. We'll have to realize that we're all condemned by His words. That we all stand before God as guilty sinners who are deeply in need. There's much in the Sermon on the Mount that shows us that all of us, no matter who we are, are in great need of God's grace and of compassion of a great high priest. And that's why I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit led Matthew to place this story immediately after Jesus' great sermon. It shows us that the one who preached it is a merciful Savior to those who feel the condemnation of their sin and who come to Him for mercy and grace in their time of need. It lets us know that He will not turn us away, but instead is very glad to receive us and to help us. Now Matthew tells us that when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Great multitudes. Now great multitudes had already been following him before he went up the mountain as well. Earlier in his gospel, we saw back in chapter 4, verse 25, this same uh, uh, phrase, great multitudes. And the sight of this great multitude was what prompted him to go up the mountain and preach the sermon to his disciples. Clearly, many of these people, these same people also followed and heard him. And when he had come down, a great multitude of people was all around him, perhaps pressing in on him. And then as they surrounded Jesus, I can picture in my mind that some kind of commotion broke out within this great multitude. People with in this crowd, this great multitude suddenly began to break apart from one another. And they began to open up a pathway. 
making a wide space between them as this poor, pathetic man came groping and dragging his way through them to Jesus. There might have even been some cries and some shouts and some angry murmurs. His sudden presence rudely interrupted the scene. No one wished to be near him because he was a dreaded leper. Someone wrote about this man's disease and they said this, There never has been any disease which so separated a man from his fellow men as leprosy did. He described forms of disease in this way. It might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. The voice becomes hoarse. And the breath wheezes. The hands and the feet always ulcerate. Uh, Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years. And it ends with mental decay and coma and then ultimately death. Leprosy began, begins with the loss of all sensation in some parts of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until hands are like claws. There are certain ulcerations on the hands and the feet. And then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until the end of the whole hand or the whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It's a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. A leprous man would be the closest thing that we could probably think of to the walking dead. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46 It says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and it shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean! Unclean! All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. He was shunned by society. People hid themselves when they came wandering into town begging for food. And one rabbi even boasted that he would throw stones at lepers to keep them away. And because a leprous man was declared to be ceremonial and socially unclean, leprosy had aptly been seen as an illustration for the curse of sin. In fact, some people in the Bible were even cursed by God with leprosy as a direct consequence of sin. You remember Moses' sister, Miriam, for example? She was struck with leprosy because of her rebellion against God's authority through Moses in Numbers chapter 12. The prophet Elijah's servant, Gehazi, was struck with leprosy because he sought to abuse Elijah's ministry in order to gain material wealth for himself in 2 Kings chapter 5. King Uzziah was struck with leprosy when he pridefully disobeyed God and sought to make an offering in the temple that was only right for the priests of God to make in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Luke he, uh, was a doctor, and in his gospel he tells of this particular man full of leprosy that is covered from head to toe. And whether or not the poor man in our passage was the leprous 
as, as a direct result of sin or something else, we cannot know. We can say, though, that his leprosy was just one manifested product of sin of the first father, Adam. And it serves as a vivid picture of uncleanness before God because of sin. In fact, this man's leprosy was a very realistic picture of a complete defilement of sin. You know, man's outward defilement is only an illustration of a much more real and substantial defilement that we all experience because of sin before a holy God. He simply looked on the outside like what we look like in the inside, in our spirits, before we got saved. And so what a shocking thing it was that he would grope his way through this great multitude and he would try to come to Jesus. People would have been appalled at his presence and would have immediately moved away from him lest they be defiled by him. But come he did. And that's what makes this poor man's faith so outstanding. Look carefully at what Matthew says about the demonstration of his faith. First notice the simple fact, the man came. The man came. I think that's remarkable. I believe that he heard about Jesus and that he, Jesus had healed all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and that people had brought to him sick folks who were possessed with devils and those who were lunatic and those who had, had the palsy. And after hearing all of this, if I may put it this way, he completely forgot about himself. He ignored all the reasons that might keep him away, the shame and the humility that he might feel, the public rejection he might experience, the sense of propriety that he might violate, and he came to Jesus anyway. No one brought him. No one encouraged him. He came all alone. But nothing was more important to him that he come. If I may put it this way, he importuned himself. He made his way to Jesus boldly. Even though others might feel he didn't belong there. Because he knew that Jesus had the power to heal. The man came. Secondly, the man came reverently. The man came reverently. The Bible tells us that he came and worshipped Jesus. The word that Matthew uses is one that literally describes the act of kissing toward. It meant to do reverence or homage to someone, perhaps by symbolically kissing the hand or the foot. The word itself doesn't say so, but I have dared to wonder that if the man actually fell before Jesus and literally sought to kiss his hand or his foot in reverence and worship. In any case, the man came to Jesus with a genuine sense of reverence. And I see this further in the fact that he called Jesus Lord. That would be the normal word for master. But in this case, he, we can't help but see that this word, word had a special significance. After all, the man was coming to Jesus for a healing of leprosy. Would he come to a mere man for something like that? In the Old Testament, a leper was once sent by the king of Syria to the king of Jehoram of Israel for a miracle of healing. He was hoping that Jehoram would send to him the prophet Elijah. 
But Jehoram didn't understand. He was outraged. He declared, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Even Jehoram recognized that only God could heal a man of leprosy. And yet think of it. Think of this man. The poor leper comes to Jesus for healing even falling down before him and calling him Lord. Clearly, this leprous man knew Jesus to be more than simply master in a mere human sense. Just, he wasn't just any teacher. He was the Lord God. This man knew Jesus to be the Son of God in human flesh, and he worshipped him as such. Thirdly, the man acknowledged Jesus' power. He acknowledged Jesus' power. He said, Lord, Thou canst make me clean. That's how a healing from leprosy was described. It was being made clean. Remember, their instructions for a leper was to go about and say, unclean, unclean. But by acknowledging that he was unclean, acknowledging that Jesus could make him uh, clean uh, after being socially and ceremonially unclean, this man was saying that it was in Jesus' power. It was in Jesus' authority to completely heal him and to make him clean, not just physically, but also ceremonially before God and for before man. And this too is a demonstration of the greatness of his faith. But then notice, fourthly, the man left the matter to Jesus' will. The man left the matter to Jesus' will. He said, Lord If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It was only if Jesus was willing. The leper didn't come demanding a healing from Jesus because he had no right to demand one. Yes, he came boldly. He he came reverently worshiping Jesus and acknowledging his power, but he came also humbly leaving the matter of His healing to the Savior's sovereign will. And may I suggest to you who are listening to this message today that this man is giving us a picture of the kind of approach to Jesus that is described for us in the first four Beatitudes. Think back with me for a moment. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And wouldn't you agree with me that this man was truly poor in spirit? What did a poor, miserable leper have to offer Christ? All that he could do was come and ask for mercy. And who of us could do any more than that before a holy God? And then Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And who could mourn more than this pathetic leper? Surely he was like a walking dead man already. And Do we in poverty of spirit come before God having a right to think of ourselves as anything but dead in our trespasses and sins? Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And didn't this leper come meekly? He didn't come presumptuously, but he came worshiping. He uh, he didn't come demanding, but he left it to the Savior's will. If thou wilt. Can any of us as sinners ever come before a holy God and make our plea to Him in any other way but meekly and humbly? And then Jesus said, Blessed are they 
which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Wouldn't you agree that he came hungering and thirsting for something that Jesus and only Jesus could do and heal him from this dreaded disease that was a picture of sin? And wouldn't you agree that he went away filled and that Jesus had promised that it's the one who beats his breaths before God and cries out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner that goes away justified in God's sight. God is showing us through this man's story how to bring our need to Jesus. And he is also showing us that when we come in this way, Jesus gladly receives us. He will never turn away anyone who comes to him in faith like the faith of this simple leper. So first of all, he receives anyone in need who comes in faith. Now, a second thing we can learn from this story about those who bring their needs to Jesus in humble faith is that he is willing, he is willing to meet their need. You see, we find Jesus welcoming and receiving this poor man who came to him by faith. And he demonstrated that receptiveness to to him in a remarkable way. Matthew tells us that when this leper approached Jesus by faith with his need, it tells us here, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Now, did you know that the Old Testament warns that if anyone were to even accidentally touch an unclean person such as a leper, he would himself become unclean and guilty. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 3 says, If he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that that man shall be defiled with all, and it shall be hid from him. When he knoweth it, then he shall be guilty. And yet here Jesus reaches out and he touches him knowingly and deliberately. Now, how could it be that Jesus could reach out and touch an unclean man and not fear to become guilty and unclean himself? And I suppose the answer would have to be that once he touched the man and healed him, he ceased to be unclean. But even a greater question than that is why Jesus even troubled to touch this man. Did Jesus have to touch him in order to heal him? No. After all, our powerful Savior certainly didn't need to touch the man in order to heal him. Jesus would go on to prove in the next verses, and we'll see in in our further study of this chapter, that He's able to uh, heal a man from a distance. He could have healed this leper leper by just speaking a word. But instead, Jesus went out of His way to touch this man. It might have been the first human touch this man had ever received for years. And the reason is because Jesus loved him. When Mark told the story in his gospel, it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith to him, I will be thou clean. He touched him because he was moved with compassion for him. What a picture of love that is. And I believe God is letting us know in this that if you will come to the throne of grace in the same way as this humble leper came, no matter how deplorable our condition, no matter how great our need, we will be coming to someone who loves us greatly and will receive us with great compassion. 
Coming to him, we will obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus turns no one away who truly comes to him on those terms. He receives everyone who comes to him in such sincere faith and receives them warmly and tenderly and fully and compassionately. You know, it's wonderful that Jesus is willing to meet our needs when we come to him. He knows about our needs. He's concerned about our needs. The Bible even tells us, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. But ultimately, what good would it be to bring our needs to Jesus if He cared about us and was willing to do something about our need but was unable to? Yes, Jesus is willing. But being willing and able is two different things. Well, as we read on, we see that he is not only the one who will, uh, to, he's the one to go to with our need. Not only is he the one willing to do what is needed, but he is able to do more than simply be willing. We can see this in the very simple response he gave to the man when he touched him. He said, I will be thou clean. I will be thou clean. Those are just two words actually in the original language. The first word is an expression of the fact I am willing. And that was certainly something the poor leper needed to hear. And the second word is really a command. Be cleansed. One word expresses our Savior's attitude toward the man's need, that he is truly willing to meet it, and the other word expresses his authority and his power, that he is able to do the thing which he is willing to do. That leads us to a third thing we need to know about those who bring their needs to Jesus, and that is he is powerful to meet their need completely. Look at verse 3 again. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Matthew tells us that after Jesus touched the man and spoke these words, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed, immediately... There was no gradual, no progressive healing involved. This man simply didn't begin to get better. Nor did Jesus tell this leper, as he would tell the ten lepers on another occasion in Luke chapter 17, go show yourselves unto the priests and then heal him while he was on their way. No, he healed this man completely and fully right there on that spot and before all to see. It was only after the man was healed that Jesus said, See that thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now why did Jesus tell the man not to speak to others, but to go directly to the priest? I believe there are four, at least four reasons. A first reason would be out of reverence to his father. Out of reverence to his father. Jesus, even in doing so a so remarkable a thing as healing this man, would be careful to stay true to God and God's law. 
The law of God given through Moses states that when a man was healed of leprosy, that he would go to the temple and show himself to the priest. And if upon examination the man indeed was healed, he was to undergo a ceremonial ritual of cleansing. Only after this ceremony uh, had been completed by the priest could the man then be restored to the social life of the people. God taught the Jewish people, Take heed in the plague of leprosy that thou observe diligently and do according to all the priests and the Levites shall teach you as I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. And Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus was very careful here to obey all of His Father's commandments, even when healing this man. But He insisted that this man obey God's commandments as well. It may be that He had gotten all caught up in telling others He might have failed to do what the law commanded. And so this was one reason why Jesus sent the man directly to the priest. The second reason would be out of concern for the man himself. Out of concern for the man himself. Jesus wanted to legitimatize the man's healing and show that it was genuine, it was complete. Now, if the man had simply wandered away without going to the priest, there is a sense in which the man's healing would have been incomplete. And in that case, no one would be able to say in an official sense that he truly was healed and could be welcomed back into society. There would always be a question about it. But once the priest had examined him according to the law, once he had offered the gift of Moses that Moses had commanded for his healing, then the matter would be settled in every respect. A third reason would be out of concern for the priest. Jesus wanted the man's healing to be a witness to the priests themselves. He told the man to do this as a testimony to them. We have no record here in the Bible before us, uh, before this time, that the ceremony for cleansing of a leper had ever been performed. And if this man went, uh, were to go to the priests in accordance with the law of Moses and require them to perform the Old Testament ritual for cleansing, the priests would have realized that something outstanding, something unprecedented had happened in their midst. This would surely have testified to them that the Messiah had come and now at work, it was at work upon the earth. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus was concerned that even the priest received the the testimony? And we would have to say that the fourth reason would be out of concern for Jesus' own ministry. Jesus' own ministry. He wanted to keep His own ministry from being unhindered. Jesus, you see, didn't come to this world to heal people of their physical ailments. He was certainly willing to do so. But he wasn't, it wasn't his primary calling. His primary calling was to seek and to save that which was lost. And if he didn't focus himself on his primary calling, he would have literally been healing people 24 hours a day at seven days a week. In fact, when we read Mark's account of this story, we see that that's one of the primary reasons Jesus gave this command. Mark tells him, but he, the leper, went out and began to publish it much and to blaze around abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. So let's admit this. It's true that the leper disobeyed the Lord, but I don't feel that he did it out of badness. I mean, if you'd just been spend 
years and years as a leper, an unclean, socially unaccepted person, wouldn't you want to tell somebody? He simply could not contain himself. He just had been healed of this dreaded disease by the Son of God. Jesus had given him his life back. And I find it hard to blame him for this disobedience. And I'm sure I probably wouldn't have done much better. And by the way, Jesus had told him to keep quiet, and yet he blabbed it to everyone. And now Jesus has died for our sins, and he's alive uh, and he's alive from the dead, and he's commanded us to tell everyone about him, and yet what do we do? We keep quiet. Who then are we to point a finger at this man's disobedience? Frankly, I like his disobedience better than I like mine. Now, as we read on, we find that Jesus was up late into the evening healing people that were brought to him. You look down in verse 16 and 17. You notice there, when even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick, and it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And isn't this a testimony that when Jesus met the need of the leper, he met it completely, just as he did to all who came to him with a similar faith? And I believe this, we're going to meet this leper in heaven. He will no longer be a leper, of course. He's going to be a glorified saint. But he's going to forever be a reminder to us of just how good our Savior is, even to poor, needy lepers. And as for us today, in our time of need, he, he serves us as a reminder that Jesus receives anyone in need, who comes to him in sincere faith. And he is willing to meet their need, and he is powerful to completely meet that need. How then shall we put this to use in our lives? I have just one simple answer. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's how we put this to practice. Hebrews 4.16 And I trust that as we work on that verse this week, we'll not only just work to memorize it, but we'll work to put it to practice. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for this leper that came to you humbly, reverently, presenting his need to you, and you were willing and able to completely cleanse him, not only his physical need, but his spiritual need as well. He was told to keep quiet, but he could not. We are told to be a witness, and yet we are not. Lord, may this message speak to us about bringing our needs to you in the time, in, in coming and our request to you in, boldly in a time of need that we might obtain the grace and the mercy that we need for our lives. Lord, we 
recognize that we're a needy people. And many times we're, we fail to come to you. Or if we do come to you, we come demanding rather than asking. We come boldly doesn't mean we come, we don't come humbly, but we do need to come. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful picture of presenting our needs to you as you are willing and able to do great and mighty things. We pray in Jesus' name.